Amen. You may be seated. Our prayer and our text this morning comes from Psalm 46. Please join me in prayer. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God and holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is the word of the Lord. Well, because it is Valentine's Day, I thought I too would start with a love story. Although long before the days of Tinder and swiping right, swiping left, eHarmony, Match.com, there was a different ritual which brought a man and a woman together. What would happen in ancient Israel is that the father of the woman and the father of the young men would come together and they would negotiate a bride price to compensate the bride-to-be's family for the loss of the valuable services that she would provide for them, the two fathers would pour a glass of wine and exchange a bride price, toast a cheers, seal the agreement, and the two would be formally engaged. So the young groom would go to his now fiancé, and he would look at her and he'd say, I am going now to prepare a place for you, to prepare a home for us. And when I'm finished, I'm going to come and get you, and you will be my wife. I will not leave you. I am coming for you. And the son, who is most likely in his mid-20s, would then go back to his father's house and begin to build a new home on his father's existing land. So you think about this young man each day, his task of clearing the field, building a house, preparing a kitchen for her, maybe building a stable for the few animals they might inherit as wedding gifts. I can imagine this young man as the property begins to take shape and the bridegroom going to his father, checking in with the general contractor, am I done? Can I go get her now? And the father shakes his head. No, no, not quite yet. Keep working. 
Then I think about this young bride, most likely living in another village, waking up each morning, wondering, is it today? Is he going to come today? Will it be next month? Will it be another year? What will my new home look like? Many days she sits still, wondering, expecting. This was not the era of emails or text messages or status updates. There was no date set, just a promise and an expectation. So I imagine her each day going down the road, straining her eyes as far as she could see, looking for a silhouette coming over the ridge. Is today the day he will come? This young woman was typically known in the community as a bride-to-be because everyone in the community would know that she had been bought for a certain price, that she had been promised a new life. And this promise that was made to her brought her profound freedom. She knew now that she would be taken care of, that she had a husband to support her, that she had a land to live on. And her only job now was to flourish, to spread joy to the family before she left, to serve those around her, to encourage her friends, to practice hospitality, to show mercy. She was the bride, bought with a price, promised to the son. She now could live in freedom. I wonder, though, if there are any days where she may have become irritated in the waiting. Did she ever become a little too tired of waiting? Or annoyed with her little sister that was constantly bugging her? Or her mom that she was still living with that was nagging her? Were there days where she became become frustrated, short-tempered, argued easily, skeptical, and was this so-called man really coming, or was this all a crock? What if in the waiting she began to lose her hope completely? I wonder if she ever had days where she thought, I am done waiting. This is a joke. I'm going to go do this my own way, because I don't see the promise being lived out. Or what if maybe her father became ill or the crop didn't produce and her groom would have been real helpful at that point? Where were you? We needed you. We felt like we called out to you and you were not here. My friends, this morning I would like to put all of us in the shoes of this young bride. For we are the bride of Christ, the church. And in these days, we have a decision to make. We, the church, have been bought with a price and have been promised a new life in the Son. He told us, I will go and prepare a place for you, and in my house there are many, many rooms. The psalmist says he is our refuge and our strength. He is present, the psalmist says. So it seems so crucial that if we're going to be Christians and live into this promise, 
that we trust in these things to come. He says, I'm going, but I will come back. I love you, you are mine. I am with you always. But how are we doing in the waiting? I saw a video a couple weeks ago about millennials. You know, there's so many older people trying to study millennials. And what the guy said was, millennials are so impatient. They have no ability to wait. Primarily because you all have been raised in a time where with two clicks, you can have things instantly at the palm of your hands. How do we wait patiently when it feels like everything is off? I don't know about you, but I walk around these days and it feels like there's something in the air that is wrong. Things are off. As if the seas are trembling and mountains are shaking and our own nation is in an uproar. Who are we going to be while we wait? Are we going to be a church that gives up? that takes matters into our own hands, that gets frustrated, that turns on each other, that backstabs or argues or splits or begins to build towers to ourselves instead of the one who promised to come. So I ask myself, what are we supposed to do while we're waiting, Lord? How are we supposed to do this? And the psalmist reminds us this morning that we are not to wait but we are to be still. These are actually two different things. Waiting and being still are two different things. Stillness is not the bride waiting for the sun to show up. Stillness is trusting that he is moving toward her when she may not even know that he's near. But being still seems so much harder, right? It makes me think, of this moment that I have with my six-year-old. Every six months, I have to take her to get blood drawn. And she has to lay on this bed, and the nurse says, sweet girl, lay completely still. Do not move. And it is the hardest thing for this young girl to do. Being still feels vulnerable, like someone else is in control over you. Be still, the psalmist says. It requires for us to pay attention, to look deeply into ourselves, to listen to what God might be trying to say to us. The message says it this way, move out of traffic, take a long look at me. Stop with all the talking and the strategizing and the selfish ideas or explanations. You have all filled your life with clutter. Look at God, and then look at yourself, the psalmist says. Be still and know. This is how Jesus operated, too. Remember when he's on the boat? He's sleeping, completely asleep on a pillow, and the storm is moving the boat. The disciples start to freak out. They are yelling and screaming, Lord, Lord. He stands up and says, silence, be still. And the seas were calmed. And he looks at the disciples and he said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no 
faith. Christ commanded the seas to be still so that his disciples would know him. Be still and know him. So church, are we going to become a bride that simply waits? Or are we able to become a church that becomes still? Because a waiting church will inevitably lose hope, will become frustrated, will become full of angst and what-ifs, and maybe this whole thing was a crock. Or will we be courageous enough to be still, to be the bride that wakes up each day in the promise of the Son who is coming, who promised to prepare a place for us, Are we able to be still enough to hear his voice? It's at the sound of his voice that the whole earth melts. His still, small voice. The voice that brought life into being and called day and night. The voice that when Jesus was brought out up out of the river Jordan, soaking in his baptismal waters, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. The voice that called Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus, come out! The psalmist says, do not fear, but be still. Because when we are still, we will know him. And when we know him, we will move with grace. We will build bridges to each other. We will flourish. We will bring beauty to the world. We will play music. We will laugh heartily. We will practice hospitality. We will show mercy. And we will be the bride of Christ that he is waiting to bring home. My friends, my prayer for all of us today is that we can wake up running down that road, straining our eyes, looking for that silhouette coming over the ridge and see that our Savior is coming to bring us home. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.